Good evening. <clears throat> it's wonderful to see everyone out. We want to thank everyone for being here with us tonight. If you're visiting with us, we want to thank you so much for being here. You've honored us with your presence, and we invite you back at any time that you were able to come and be with us here tonight to worship God. It's a wonderful opportunity. We want to thank everyone for being here and seizing that opportunity to study God's Word. At any time that we have the opportunity to study God's Word, it is of great benefit to us. In our, in our lives. And as, and as Brother Monty said, we are continuing our study in the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 5. And the more that you look at Romans and the more that you study Romans, it's, it's the more that you feel like you need to study Romans and the more that you need to look at Romans. There's a lot of things going on, on in there. There's a lot of things going on here in Romans chapter 5. And I, and I want us to look at those things and see what we can understand from, uh, from God's Word. We just came off of, of Romans chapter 4. We're going to backtrack and recap a little bit there on Romans chapter 4. But I want us to really really understand and really try to look at the scripture because some of the things can be confusing and I want us to make sure that we understand and are clear on exactly what the scriptures are saying, not what man is saying, what God is saying and what God's word is saying concerning some of these subjects. Before we, we, we get into it, remember that we're still talking about Jews and Gentiles. We're still talking about the law versus faith. We're still talking about the circumcision and the uncircumcision. Those things, those thoughts, that audience that he's still writing to in Romans is still should still be in our minds. That's still who he's talking to. Romans chapter 5, and I've got up there if you can see it, much more. As we go through this chapter, I want you to look for that phrase, much more. What does that mean in that sentence or in that, or in that verse? What does much more mean? Or can you think of something that is much more or someone who is much more? And I want us to see that as, as Paul is writing here and he's, he's, teaching, he's teaching about what is much more. And what is greater. And I want us to see that in this chapter as we study it. First of all, I want us to recap Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 22, or the last six verses there of that chapter. I'm going to have all the verses up here on the board. We are going to be reading from the New King James Version tonight, although I may reference the King James Version when I'm talking about certain verses and certain words there. But <clears throat> I want us to read Romans chapter 4, where Ian left off last week. Romans chapter 4, verse 20, the Bible says, For he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God. This is, this is talking about Abraham. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So if you recall during that, that study, this is the where Paul is trying to bring to their mind Abraham, where God promised that you're going to have a kid, you're going to have a, have a child, where Abraham considered his body dead, he was 97 years old, in that aspect of life he thought it was not going to happen, or, or, or he considered himself not, not to be able to do that, but he, he said there that he was convinced that what God said was going to happen was going to happen. And if you saw that in Abraham's life in several different instances, as, as, as we think about Isaac, Abraham always had that faith in what God promised, that God said that you will have a child with Sarah. And he was convinced that that promise was going to happen and that he was also convinced that what he said was going to happen, it was going to be performed, it was accounted or imputed or put onto his account for righteousness. And Abraham there is a great example as he's trying to teach us as well as them at Romans. And he continues on there in Romans chapter 4, verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from, uh, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our 
justification. And we're going to see words like reconciliation, justification, condemnation, a lot as, as we study this chapter. We're going to try to study those words as well. But it says here that it was not only for his sake alone that it was imputed or that righteousness or that goodness was put onto Abraham's account. But it said also for us that it will be imputed on us if we believe in him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That if we believe that God can perform all the things that God says that he will perform. And that was a promise that God had made to Abraham. You're going to have a child, and he believed that promise, and that promise was performed. And I want us to think about the practical application for us today, that if God makes a promise, God will perform his promise. If God says this is what's going to happen, that's what is going to happen. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, raised it from the dead, it will be imputed or placed or put into our account or reckoned for us as well that righteousness. And he leaves off with those thoughts. He's talking about Abraham. He leaves off with the righteousness and the faith of Abraham. And he rolls here into Romans chapter 5 about that justification, that rightness, that we are seen justified or we are seen right in the sight of God through Jesus Christ our Lord and believing and having that faith in him. So beginning our chapter for tonight in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, just talking about those things that we just studied, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So it says there, therefore, just like Abraham, we are justified by what? By faith. Faith in what? Faith in God and faith through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has the power to raise him from the dead like we just read. And it says there, not only that do we have faith, we also have peace with God. Do you want peace with God? You know, when, when I think about people that are at odds with each other, enemies, so to speak, well, you know, we want peace, right? If you're fighting with, with someone or you're arguing with, with someone, we eventually want peace. And we have that peace through faith. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into his grace. That grace is a free gift. We're going to talk about that gift. And we have access to that gift because of our faith. So you can see these things kind of connecting. You can see these dots uh, connecting here that through that faith in Jesus Christ, through that faith in God, we now have access to that grace. And this is there that we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. You know, Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ is everything to us. As a Christian, that is our faith. That is our whole. Jesus Christ and his death is the one that reconciles or makes us right with God. We have that peace with God through Jesus Christ. And I want us to really understand that hope of the glory of God. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 really talks about that hope as well and really kind of helps clarify and understand that hope. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11, the Bible says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Does that not sound like what we've been studying here in Romans? These are parallel the chapters, so to speak. Paul is teaching the same things here to the church at Ephesus. And it says there that you were once Gentiles. Then it says there in verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, who you, Jesus Christ, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. See, we have that peace with God, and we have that peace through Jesus Christ. And it says there that if you remember, you were Gentiles, you had no hope. And that's a tough spot to be in. Have you ever felt like you had no hope? 
And then you see Jesus and you said, there it is, there's hope. And we want that hope. We need that hope. And it says there that you were once aliens from the commonwealth. You were strangers. And it says, but by Jesus Christ and his blood and his sacrifice on the cross, who took on our sins, we now have access to that, that grace. We now have that hope. And that hope is everything to us as Christians. The hope is everything. Every day that we wake up, we should pray God and thank God for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus because it gets us through our day. It gets us through our life, and it gets us onward through that. And I want us to really understand that, that hope is powerful, that hope is meaningful. And Paul kind of explains how that hope is possible, or I'm sorry, how that hope is extremely important and gets us through those things. But remember that this is talking about Gentiles here who were who were without God, but now have been brought near, brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Back to that hope in Romans chapter 5, back to, uh, to Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, the Bible says, and not only that, not only do we have that hope, not only do we have that peace, not only do we have that access, he says here, and not, not, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And if you're looking at the King James Version, it says that, that tribulation produces patience. It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So it says there that not only that, not only do you have that access, do you have that faith, that hope carries you through what? Tribulation. And we glory in tribulation. If, if, if you recall James chapter 1 where it says, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations because that temptation produces patience. See, we don't like tribulation. I certainly don't. I don't just run out and I'm excited about tribulations. But think about having tribulations of life, the storms of life and all those things having, but having no hope at the end. That would be difficult. Would that not be hard to get through those things in life, those tribulations, those storms, those difficult spots? But that's what he's saying. We have that awesome, great hope that is Jesus Christ. So when we go through tribulations, it produces these things. It produces perseverance. It produces character. It produces that patience. Why? Because we have hope. We know that we can get through it because Jesus Christ is waiting on the other side. And that's that powerful hope that we have. And it says that hope does not disappoint. That hope is never going to be something that is going to be slack. Like God doesn't slack concerning his promises. And some men count slackness. But that is long-suffering. That hope is never going to go away as long as you hold on to it. And so that hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that's talking about obeying the gospel there. And we understand that. And we're going to get to Romans chapter 6, Lord willing, soon. And we're going to talk about that more, about obeying that gospel, being buried in baptism to rise and walk in newness of life and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, just like Peter talked about in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38 there. That that is how we have that Holy Spirit. And that's all hope. It's fantastic hope. Continuing on in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says, For when we were still without strength at due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet per perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the, that's the amazing thing. That while we were still sinners, while we were still godly, God was not going to wait around for us to become righteous. Why? Because that's impossible. And when he gave us the law, it made them see that it was even more impossible. Because once you see you have God's law, you see all these things, you realize how sinful you are. Go back and look and read the old law. You'll see how sinful you are. And you need that hope. 
And it says, but that is the amazing thing is that when we were without strength, when we were ungodly, when we were sinners, Christ died for us already. That, as we read, is the much more. That's much more. That is power. That is awesome. That is Jesus Christ coming down and giving his life for us. And that's how God demonstrates his love toward us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, that through that death, us sinners can become righteous in God's eyes and be justified and be reconciled because we need to be reconciled. We're going to talk about that here. Now I want us to go back to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment as we talk a little bit more about that great hope. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 and 16, the Bible says, For he himself is our peace, who was made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So there he's, he's sitting there saying, and it's just what we've been studying in Romans chapter one, Romans chapter two, three, four, five, as we're, we're looking at there, they said that Jesus Christ is the one who's taken that wall away, separating who? Jews and Gentiles, right? He has taken that wall. He has abolished it. That way he can make one new, 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 new man and bring both those groups together so they both can be reconciled, so they both can be saved, so they both can have that life there through Jesus Christ. And that's what the cross does. Jesus Christ has broken that, that apart. And that's why he's, he's trying to teach these people in Ephesians, like in Romans, that the law is gone. The law is done. We have Jesus Christ now, who is much more, who is much better. Ephesians chapter two, continuing on there, verse 17 says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That, is that not just like what we've been reading here? It's just like what we've been studying. That's the amazing thing about studying the Bible. You can read these separate letters. You can read these separate books and get the same idea that Paul is speaking here. He said we have access now. Without Jesus Christ, we would have no access to that hope. There'd be no hope. We'd have no access, no admittance, no nothing. We could not get in. And he says he was preaching there to those that were uh, afar off and near. That's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles there. Preaching to both that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Back to Romans chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says, much more than. And that's what's amazing that once you look at that and you see that when you were sinners, when you were ungodly, when you were not worthy, Christ still came and still died for each of us. For, 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 for each and every one of us. And that's the much more. Much more than since that has happened, we having been justified by his blood, verse 9, we shall be saved from, from wrath through him. For, verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's Jesus Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Verse 11 and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And that word, a reconciliation in the King James Version is atonement. And as I was taught a while back that if you look at that word atonement, that we need that reconciliation, we need to be restored. You can look at that word atonement at one minute. 
that it brings you to one. It makes you at one minute. It makes you restore towards God. And we need that reconciliation. We need to be restored to God. And that's the amazing thing where it says there that, you know, we were enemies. That's why I think here in, in this chapter, Paul's using that word peace as well. He said, you were enemies. And now you have been restored. You have been reconciled through Jesus Christ. And now we have that, <clears throat> that ministry, as we'll read about, of, of, of reconciliation because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ compared to the law is much more. And you'll start seeing that. You'll start seeing him t teaching that here in Romans chapter 5. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 also just speaks on, the, on this matter of reconciliation. Where 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I think we understand how we become in Christ, and that's through baptism. Verse 18, Now all things are of God. <clears throat> who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Well, that's the gospel. Looking at Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, Jesus' re resurrection, that's the ministry of reconciliation. That is what we do to be restored and reconciled with God. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and was committed to us the word of reconciliation. So he says that he had Jesus Christ, that he wasn't imputing the trespasses of us. He wasn't imputing the trespasses, he says, of them, the sins. He wasn't putting them on our account. He's putting them on Jesus' account. And then he's settling that account. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, as, as well, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors, Paul speaking of, of himself and, and the other apostles there, ambassadors for Christ as through God were pleading through us. We implore you or we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what Jesus Christ has done. Is that, is, is that not amazing? He knew no sin and he made him sin so that we could have our sins washed away by his blood. And that's what's being taught here. That, he, that, that it says there that they are pleading and imploring you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Don't you wish more people would read that and look at that? Imploring, begging, be reconciled to God because you need to be reconciled to God. And that's what he's teaching in Romans chapter five. He's teaching those Jews and those Gentiles there. This is what is needed. You want that hope, you need that. And the only way to get it is through Jesus Christ. We're going to switch gears here just a little bit here in Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 12. We're going to kind of start talking about Adam. We're going to start talking about the law. We're going to start talking about the law of, of, of Moses and Jesus Christ. And some comparisons there as, as, as we go through this, through this study. Romans chapter 5, uh, uh, verse 12 it says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. And I want to reiterate just a moment, Romans 3, 23, where it says, for all is sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we understand that. We understand that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That if you look at the law, you will realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one can keep that law. And, and he says there, just as one man sin entered the world, who's that one man? It's Adam. 
and we're going to talk about Adam, and he mentions Adam in that next verse. But I want us to recall what happened there in Genesis chapter 2, where he says, By one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the Bible says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it, to work. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that's, that's what God said. That was God's commandment. And what, what happened to Adam? We're not going to go through the whole story. Well, he did exactly what God told him not to do. God said, don't eat of that. He ate of it, right? And when he did that, that's how he said, you will surely die. Now, did God strike Adam down immediately? No, that's, that's not what it meant. Now, Adam and those descendants of Adam are going to die because that's what, that's it. That's what happens, that, that sin was brought into the world, and through sin, there is death, correct? All who sin are going to be punished for that sin. Said so that since Adam disobeyed God, now death is in the world. And Romans, Romans chapter 5, the Bible says, For until the law, Romans chapter 5, verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no, is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. That's, that's a little wordy, right? That can be confusing. What it's saying there is that, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed or put on someone's account where there is no law. Let me ask you a question. From, from Adam to Moses, did people sin? Yeah, we have some of that sin recorded. Did they die? Yes, they did. We have that recorded. So it's saying that, that before the law, from Adam to Moses, death still reigned. Why? Because death is in the world, because sin is in the world, because Adam sinned, and through that sin, you shall surely die. Right? So... That, but, but he's saying, but when there's no law, it's not going to be imputed on, on their account. But once that law is there and you see that sin, you can read about that sin, you understand that sin, now there is a law. And if you break the law, there's going to be consequences for breaking the law, right? That's like how we are today. If we break the law, there's going to be consequences going to be imputed or put on your account because you broke the law. But it says there, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses because it was still sin and death. Even those who have sinned in the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him to come. And we're going to study that. It compares Adam and Jesus here. And it does in other verses as well, like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Adam and Jesus are similar. They're not the same. Jesus is much more like we've been talking about. But there is a similarity with Adam and Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 2, to kind of skip ahead a little bit, the Bible here says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So what is the law? It's a law of sin and death. You sin and you die, correct? That's what the law is. And that was still going on from Adam to Moses, but now we have the law. We're going to come back to that law and understand what that means for our offenses and our sins further on in, the, in, the, in this lesson. But I want us to stop and look at that comparison that is made with Adam and Jesus there. Because it says, who was a type of him, if you see that him is capitalized, that's Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 15 kind of sheds some light on this subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, the Bible says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and a spiritual body. If you recall or if you remember, if not, I encourage you to go back and study 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's talking about the different types of bodies. There's a celestial body and a terrestrial body. There's this body and there's going to be another body, right? When we, we are raised up with, with Jesus Christ. That there's going to be a different body. There's a natural body and then there's a spiritual body. Verse 45, the Bible says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was a, what Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So who was that? That last Adam is Jesus there. That is a life-giving spirit. That the first man was a living being, the second man is a life-giving spirit. And, 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 it, and it goes through, through that a little bit more. Where it says in verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. And, and we understand that. Here we are, sitting here in our natural bodies, correct? And we understand that after that is the spiritual body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47, the Bible says, For the first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So now we see that a little more clear. We're talking about Jesus here, correct? Yes, we are. It says the first man is of the earth as Adam. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. That's Jesus. It was the man of dust who also are those who are made of dust. And it is the heavenly man who's also of those who are heavenly. And, and it was, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the, uh, of the heavenly man. It's talking about those that are saved, those that have already looked and seen that ministry, that, that, that ministry of reconciliation and believe in Jesus Christ and have been baptized and have been saved. This, uh, this natural body is going to put on that heavenly body or this corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. And we see those verses through, throughout scripture there. But it, it, it says that it's comparing that, that Jesus, Jesus and Adam there. And I, I just want us to understand that that's who that's talking about. Back to Romans chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible says, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from, the one, from, from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of nation words is what I started calling them because you had reconciliation, justification, a condemnation, a nation words there as I had it written down on my notes. But what, what I want us to understand is that it's similar. How? Because when Adam sinned and there was that death, guess who it affected? Everybody. Jesus Christ, who is that life-giving, Jesus Christ, who is that offering that free gift, that's affected everybody, correct? Jesus Christ has affected the entire world, and especially to those who believe on him. Just like Adam affected the entire world, we all are descendants of Adam. And the Bible here says that the gift is not like the one who sinned. For that sin, that gift or that offense, there became a judgment or condemnation. And that condemnation, that word just means a verdict. That he done something and there was a verdict or a judgment placed upon him. But Jesus Christ had abolished all that. That Jesus Christ, that free gift of him is that because of all those offenses, whose offenses? Everybody's offenses. Everybody has sinned, correct? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That through that sin, through those, those offenses, Jesus Christ there having, has given that free gift of, of himself, and that has resulted in justification. That has resulted in making us right 
And we cannot be right. We cannot be reconciled without Jesus Christ. Verse 17 also says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. And I want to clarify that we don't inherit Adam's sin. We aren't born with that sin. Okay? That's what some people can read from these verses. I don't believe that's what these verses are talking about. But it is that since that offense, death has reigned because we die, correct? That since that death has reigned, but now much more the abundance of grace, that gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So that's that comparison that's in there. Adam affected everybody. Jesus has affected everybody, especially those who believe on him. But I want us to understand as we, as, as we backtrack here, that word condemnation, what exactly happened there? That Adam offended, or Adam sinned. Adam did what God told him not to do, and there was a judgment or a verdict on him. And if you recall in Genesis chapter 3, that was in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible here says, and that's a little bit smaller. I hope that you can read it. It says, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake and told you shall eat. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and for dust you, sh- you, shall, <laughs> you shall return. And that's just like the verses that we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talking about Jesus here. And that has affected everybody. That verdict there that condemnation that was placed upon Adam has affected each and every one of us that now we must work the ground that that, that we must tool all the days of our life and also there is that death correct so I just wanted to understand that that's what it means we're saying that now there's condemnation because that word can be like a little a, a little bit confusing that just means that Adam done wrong and God said this is the consequence for you doing wrong Romans chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, Therefore, just as, as we got done reading, and I didn't mention it, and I'm going to back, backtrack a little bit now. When we started verse 13, there was a parentheses there. That I believe that those verses there go, go together, and that's just Paul trying to clarify and reason with these people exactly what is, what is going on. <clears throat> therefore, Romans chapter 5, verse 18, therefore that we had discussed Adam, that, that, that we discussed that likeness that he is there with Jesus Christ, that we have discussed that Jesus Christ is much more, that we have that hope in Jesus Christ, that that law was placed, that <clears throat> was, we're going to read about that law, that that law was there imputing those things on, on our account. Then he wraps it up here in verse 18 in Romans chapter 5 where the Bible says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Just the verdict that that we were talking about, that death as well. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So he's saying there that, you know, just as Adam affected everybody, so Jesus has affected everybody that through one man's offense, guess what? There was a judgment, there was condemnation, and that is death, a, a law of sin and, and death, which was in place with, with Moses. They said through the one man, that's Jesus Christ, his righteous act is a free gift, 
Why is it free? Do we deserve it? Absolutely not. None, none, none of us did. Verse 19, the Bible says, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, but also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, will be made righteous. Those who believe on Jesus Christ will be made righteous. And what I think is really interesting, because I've, I've talked to people outside the, the church as well, that it says there that, you know what, if you are disobedient, that's not good, right? But if you're obedient, it's good. It says there, one man's disobedience, there's a consequence that affected everybody. But by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So is obedience important? Absolutely. Do we have a duty to obey God? Absolutely. Do we have a, a duty to obey his commandments or obey that ministry of reconciliation and that gospel? Yes, we do. Because if we are disobedient to the things that God is teaching us, there's going to be that condemnation. There's going to be that verdict. God will make a judgment. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You know, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin and death. When I read verse 20, I was, wasn't sure what it was talking about here. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that offenses might abound. So the law is in place so that offenses might abound. It's not that the people were sinning more now, but what it was saying there that the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul said that in his letters. He's like, if I had no, I wouldn't know sin. I wouldn't know not to covet if it wasn't for the law. The law taught me what sin was. And it says there that now that that law was in place, the people could look and see it, see that law, and now they realize how much they were sinning, how much they were disobedient to God. Were they still sinning before the law? Yes, but now there is a law, and that law brings forth the knowledge of sin and death. So that, that, that's what that means, that moreover the law entered, entered, God gave the law, that offenses might abound because they see all the things that they are doing wrong, black and white. But it says there, but where sin abounded, talking about that law, grace abounded much more. Jesus Christ is much more. Was the law good? The law was perfect. It was those who were weak in the flesh who couldn't keep the law. That's all those people. Nobody could keep the law. Those offenses, those offenses or those sins abounded. But Jesus in his death abounded to much more. So the bottom line here in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, where the Bible says, so that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, we're going to talk about more as we continue on the study of Romans about the law. But right here, it's, it's almost like a beginning nail in the coffin here. Saying the law cannot and will not save you. It cannot. Because where the law was weak, where the law made those offenses abound, Jesus Christ abounds much more. He is perfect. He said through his death, you have grace. You have access to that grace. That's the big word to me, access. And there are people out there, everybody has access to that. They just need to come to Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it reminded me of John chapter 14, verse 6, where it said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through 
me. And I think that's what he's really trying to teach those people at Romans, that the law is gone. Those ordinances were blotted out. They were nailed to the cross. It said, but Jesus Christ is much more. He is greater. He is powerful. And nobody comes to the Father except through him now. And, and that's why I think he is teaching them or trying to teach them in Romans chapter 5. Lord willing, ne- next week, or the, the next time that, 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 we, that we preach, we'll do Romans chapter 6 and look into more of that, that ministry of a reconciliation. But if there's someone here who has not in Christ Jesus, because if you're not in Christ Jesus, you certainly can't go back to the law. You certainly can't do anything yourself because Jesus Christ is much more, much more than all those things. That if you want to be baptized and be in Jesus Christ and, and be saved, we have water. We are prepared to uh, assist you with that. If you are going through some, some troubles in your life or you need the prayers of the church or there's anything that we can help you with in any way, we ask that you to please come sit on the front row and make your wishes known as we stand and we sing.